When I was in college, um, my college had an official religion called basketball. And um, we were really into our religion. So um, uh, some people get really excited about a sporting event. I've been to games at Lambeau, which is awesome. Um, and you get there, you know, a few hours early to make sure you get in and get your space. Um, but, but at my school, when we went to basketball games, we got there two months early. <laughs> and we would sleep in tents waiting for our tickets so we could get in. Um, we had uh, an unbelievable excitement about it. I remember um, there were people who would leave games, and if we lost, there was almost always people crying on the way out of uh, Cameron. We had um, opposition research that would get passed out before the game. So as we are, you know, in our tent city, um, there would be, on the day of a game, there would be a group of students who'd walk around with little, almost like bulletins, right, saying, hey, here's what you need to know. We already have some of our, our, our chants and songs memorized, but here's, here's some suggestions. This is really going to get under the skin uh, of these players and the other team. Uh, and uh, in, in all of that, there was this incredible energy. We, we had, um, we, we, we filled up the space around the floor, and we didn't sit for the whole game. It was two hours of standing. And um, Boy, I mean, we chanted and we sung and we yelled because we knew that we were going to make a difference in this game. We knew that if we weren't there, the game might go a completely different direction. Uh, And I think about that experience because I think um, there are some components about that that are very similar to what we do in worship right? I mean, we have chants, and we have songs, and we are, we have bulletins. We don't have any opposition research. Um, But there are some components about that that are very different than how we often approach worship. I wonder how often we come to worship and think, um, boy, if I wasn't there, things might not go the direction they're supposed to go. I wonder how often we approach worship and think, boy, I am so emotionally invested that there's a pretty good chance I'm going to be laughing and crying and cheering in the midst of this service. I wonder um, what it would be like to be so emotionally invested in worship, hold, your, hold yourself down here, uh, that we got there early to get the best seats. Right? <laughs> and I know people in the back are saying we did get there early to get these seats. Uh, I want to think about worship today, and, and actually, uh, it's such a big topic. Have you noticed that we, we tend to, to talk the least about the things we do the most? So we do worship a lot, and we don't talk about it a lot. So um, we're not going to be able to do all that I want to do today. In fact, uh, I think I'm committed to um, when I get back in September, our first sermon series is going to be about worship. Um, but today, I just want to talk about um, the, the, the worship we see in the book of Revelation, because throughout this book, worship is a huge theme. Uh, And um, I want to begin by pointing out the similarities and differences between Ezekiel's experience and John's experience, okay? Because both Ezekiel and John have this worship experience where they um, encounter God. Uh, On first glance, there's a lot of similarities. So in Ezekiel, we have this weird thing about um, the four living creatures and the, and the glowingness of God and a throne with someone on it that they can't even quite look at because that being is so bright. We see all of that in Revelation. So if we were 
to have time today to read the whole book of Revelation in Revelation 4 and 5, we'd hear that description of the living creatures exactly like they're described in Ezekiel. We'd hear about the throne um, that they can't quite look at. Someone's there, but they can't quite see him because he's too glorious. Um, we'd, we'd see, in fact, there are all kinds of, of connections between Ezekiel's encounter with God and John's encounter with God. There are, however, two big differences I, I wanted to point out today, uh, may, maybe three. Uh, the, the first difference, um, and, and we've mentioned this before, but it's such an important idea, is that in Ezekiel's encounter with God, he's sitting by a river in Babylon, and God comes down to him. God, you know, steps out of heaven, and so do his cherubim and the angels, and, and they come down to walk around where Ezekiel is. This is the case in every time God appears in the Old Testament. Every time in the Old Testament God appears to people, God comes down out of heaven uh, to encounter them on earth. But something different happens in the Gospel of John. I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the Revelation of John. And, and because John is writing after Jesus, right? After God has come down in His fullness. And, and because of what Jesus accomplishes on the cross and in the empty tomb, John does not have an experience of God coming down to earth. John has an experience of being taken up by God to heaven. This happens a number of times in the New Testament. It never happens in the Old Testament. So this is one huge difference, right? That um, in Ezekiel's vision, God comes down. In John's vision, he goes up. Second really important difference um, that we hear in, in John's vision, um, and uh, we're, we're going to see this most clearly in the first chapter of Revelation, uh, is that John... Uh, Ezekiel encounters God in um, a, a season of turmoil and stress, right? He's in um, exile in Babylon. He's by the river. We don't know if he's, um, what's going on. But, but John very clearly encounters God on a Sunday morning worship service. So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John says, um, he's, he's on the island of Patmos. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. When I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day, resurrection day, on the day that Jesus rose again from the dead, of course, Sunday. Uh, in the Spirit, meaning he's, he's in the Holy Spirit. He's worshiping God. And this is a really important idea we're going to spend some time on today, um, that when John encounters this incredible experience of being brought up into heaven, it happens in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Okay, let's unpack those two ideas real briefly. Um, let's talk about Ezekiel uh, and the prophets in the Old Testament. So, uh, in the Old Testament, um, every time God appears, He comes down. Why? Because one of the central themes of the Old Testament is the distance between people and God. God does all kinds of things to reinforce this idea. Remember the temple? Right? The temple has all these concentric levels of access, so there's the space that only the Jewish people can get into. Then there's the space that only the men can get into. Then there's a space that only the priests can get into. Then we have the holy place, right, where the, um, the, the candlestick and the bread of the presence and the altar of incense. Then there's a curtain. Then there's the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God's throne is. And only one guy once a year gets to go into that room. And, and the intent of all of that is to say, yes, God wants to be with His people. Yes, 
God wants to be in covenant with Israel, but there needs to be some, some distance because God is so holy and righteous and good that our sinfulness and His holiness don't come together well. But then something incredible happens in the story of Jesus. You remember um, on the cross as Jesus dies, we're told the temple and the curtain is torn in two. And that barrier that's separating um, the, the people of God from the presence of God literally is broken in half. And all of a sudden, we have access to God. And so um, we get this in our passage in Revelation today. Um, one of the elders comes to John and says, do you know who these people are? He says, I have no idea. And the, the speaker says, they are, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. Uh, in other words, um, the, the Lamb, Jesus, allows us uh, to get into the presence of God to worship God. Uh, Jesus makes a way for us to be in God's presence um, so that we can worship God. This is, by the way, a really important idea that sometimes um, I think we neglect. I think sometimes we think about heaven and we think, boy, heaven is going to be everything I ever wanted, right? Heaven is going to be the day that I can finally dunk a basketball. Heaven is going to be I can eat Snickers all day and never gain weight, right? Heaven is going to be, um, you know, everything I ever wanted. That, that's not the perspective of heaven we get in Scripture. It's not that we won't have great things in heaven, um, but the, the best part about heaven is that we get to be in the presence of God. Uh, I had um, a conversation with a friend this week, and um, she asked me, hey, Jim, who are you most excited about meeting when you get to heaven? And I said, well, that's a really easy answer. Jesus. And I'm excited about meeting Jesus. And she said, yeah, Jim, that's the right answer. Because uh, sometimes people will say, oh, I can't wait to see um, my my grandma or my grandson or my um, mom or my child or my spouse, and all that is great. But if we're most excited about all of that stuff, we're missing the main idea. If we're most excited about Jesus, Scripture says, um, will not God who gave us Christ with Him give us everything else? Right? Um, that if you want Jesus first, everything else comes with Him. Uh, if He's not your first love, you might not find anything else either. Um, there, the, the purpose of our privilege of being in God's presence is to worship Jesus, right? To worship the Lamb. Um, by the way, uh, I do not believe that heaven's going to be all harps and togas and songs and floating on clouds. I think there's going to be a lot of normal life, but I think even in our normal life, we'll be worshiping. So you're going to worship while you till your garden, and you're going to worship while you play basketball with your kids and dunk. Um, you're going to worship while you set the table and have a great family meal. Um, that everything that you do is going to be worship. And by the way, shouldn't that be the case now? Isn't that what we're trying to do now? Okay, so um, we get this incredible privilege of going up into the presence of God, of being taken up into heaven um, because the Lamb makes a way um, and the Lamb allows us to heaven to worship. There's something else really important here, though. Come back with me to this idea of, of John being elevated to heaven on the Lord's day, like on a Sunday worship service. 
See, there's something about our worship on Sundays that is related to us getting to go up and see God. This is a really interesting component of Revelation. Revelation talks about worship a lot, uh, and you'll see if you were to read it, chapters 4 and 5 have an extended worship service. Here in chapter 7, there's a worship service. There's one in chapter 11 and 14 and 15 and 19 and 22, and constantly we have these scenes of worship where singing is happening in heaven, Uh, and there's a refrain that happens a number of times, Um, chapter 5, verse 11, chapter 14, verse 3, chapter 15, verse 2, chapter 19, verse 6, but we're just going to read out of chapter 7 today. Um, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's really an interesting thing that keeps happening throughout the entire book of Revelation. There's a worship service happening in heaven, and then all of a sudden, there's a huge crowd of humans from every tribe and people and language and tongue singing with the angels. It's really interesting because this is not the end times where like Jesus has come back and raised the dead and they're now in heaven forever. This is all happening before that, right? I mean, that's the end of Revelation. This is way before that. And so I think John has a very particular idea. I think John believes that just as his experience was that on Sunday morning he was in worship and he was elevated up to God, so too every time in the book of Revelation that a multitude of people suddenly appears in heaven singing with the angels, I think those people are are being elevated on Sunday morning. I think he's simply saying, just like me, in this moment, um, you believers are being caught up to sing and celebrate with the angels and worship God. Okay, and then you're going to say, Jim, that's a neat idea, um, but how often have you had an experience of that kind of elevated worship? So let me tell you about my first experience of, of that kind of worship that, that made me feel like I was lifted up and, and singing with the angels. Um, it, it was actually you, at, at Montreat, which you know is an important place for me in North Carolina. Uh, I was there the summer after my freshman year of high school. And, you know, my, my parents forced me to go. I did not want to be there. And um, Montreal was a Christian conference, and so basically that just meant that we had um, worship in the morning and worship in the evening every day for like six days in a row. And then in between that, we had like Bible study. Which I know it doesn't sound super exciting. You, you cannot believe how excited people were for this. So my first year, I went with my youth group, and they had all mostly gone before. And... So we got up the first day, and we had breakfast, and it's like 8 a.m., and the worship service starts at 9.30, and at 8.15, they were like, hey, we got to go get seats, and I was like, get seats for what? We got to go get seats for worship. Why? (laughs) It starts at 9.30. That's an hour and and a lot away, Uh, and they said, no, no, we have to get good seats. I was like, what are you talking about? So uh, no kidding. Um, by 8.15, 8.20, um, my entire youth group would line up outside of this massive auditorium, about a thousand kids uh, in high school at this conference I was at, um, and they would just wait for an hour and 15 minutes until the worship service started because they wanted to get the best seats. By the way, the best seats 
At this place, we're in the front. It was a Presbyterian conference, and the best seats were in the front. Just think about that for a minute. Um, when we came in, um, we ran into our seats. I'm not necessarily recommending this part, uh, and so we could get to the best seats. And then, I kid you not, they got me to dance. I am not a dancer, okay? I am not a dancer. Um, but they had these things called energizers where we would do like stupid dances to pop popular songs. And, and I was like dancing really hard. Um, I didn't say well, but really hard. Um, and then we sang, right? And I have never loved worship music like that before, but I was belting out the songs. And I have a voice that um, my mother says is okay. Um, and I just loved it. Um, and um, as, as we uh, listened to the message in the Word of God read and proclaimed, I mean, I, I, I'm not an emotional person, um, but multiple times that week, um, I, I cried during the worship service. Uh, and, I, and I came back, and the question we all had was, um, why isn't our worship and our little Presbyterian church like that experience there? And one of the things I began to realize is that um, we have more opportunities like that than we realize. Uh, I've had that elevated worship experience in a little compound church in Nuevo Laredo, Texas on my first mission trip. And I had that elevated worship experience on a rooftop in Haiti with our mission team a few years ago. I've had that elevated worship experience in the Garden of Gethsemane with some of you in Israel. Um, and I've had that elevated worship experience um, sitting around uh, camp at, um, in Three Lakes on our little family mission trips. But more than any other place, um, I have that experience here. I have that experience here when we celebrate baptisms and new members and communion and ordination and confirmation and music that stirs my soul. And it's in this place and in our worship together um, that I see people giving their lives to Jesus and committing their um, sins to Him and asking for forgiveness and taking on responsibility in the church that Christ has called them to and joining their voices uh, and, and to the songs of angels. So here's the question. If, if worship is supposed to be that experience that elevates us up into the presence of God like it did for John in Revelation, why do sometimes we not feel that? And I think the answer is really simple. It's difficult to be lifted up to heaven when you're tying yourself down to earth. When I am focused on me, I have a hard time focusing on Him. Tell me if you've ever done this. Ever been singing a song and said, ooh, I don't know this song super well. I'm not sure I can sing this song in tune. I'm going to sing quiet today. Yeah? Okay. You have. You all have. Uh, ever said to yourself, ah, you know what? Um, I'm nervous about saying this prayer out loud with everyone else because if I stumble on one of the words, the people around me are going to look at me and think what's wrong with me. Uh, I'm nervous about doing the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer or the doxology or whatever because if I don't have it memorized, maybe somebody will look at me funny and think there's something wrong with me. Uh, I'm nervous about raising my hand to praise God in worship because what if Jim calls on me, right? That would be terrifying. Um, and all of that is me tethering myself to earth. Right? I'm worried about what other people are thinking about me. And as long as I'm doing that, it's really hard to be lifted up to God. So um, 
let, me, let me tell you what I think. This is a really simple idea. Um, let me tell you what I think should happen in worship. What I think should happen in worship is this should be the place where we are the least self-focused all week. This should be the place where we think least about ourselves and most about the incredible grandeur and glory and love and grace of our God. And if we were so caught up and how amazing God is and all that He's done for us in Jesus Christ, then I would have a hard time thinking too much about whether I was singing in tune or how someone was thinking about my singing, right? If I was really totally focused on God, that stuff would fall away, and I might be able to be in the presence of God in a way that's transcendent. So let me tell you, best case scenario, um, when you are in worship, You're so focused on God, you don't care what people think about you. Here's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is everybody else around you is just as self-obsessed as you are, and they're not listening to you sing either, right? Because they're freaking out about whether they're singing in tune. Either way, sing loud, pray loud, get out of your head about it. Stop letting it be about you and let it be about God. By the way, um, this is the same thing about public prayer. Ever been asked to pray in public and you freaked out? Right? Because you're like, I don't know how to do that. That sounds really terrifying. I don't want to be the person to pray in public. The reason we freak out is because we think, oh no, I'm going to say a prayer and the people around me might not be impressed. Who cares? Are you praying to the people around you? The, the, the person who made the universe and made your life and gave you eternal life, that's who you're talking to. By the way, that person should be way more intimidating than the regular humans around you. Uh, And if you're talking to that person, the people around you ought to be almost insignificant. Just pray loud. By the way, uh, we we clap in worship in our church often. We clapped for our choir a few minutes ago. And I have a lot of conversations with people about clapping in worship. Uh, I grew up in a church that did not, did not clap in worship. Uh, and, and let me say this, um, if when we clap in worship, we are applauding the choir or our kids' choir or our soloists or instrumentalists for performing for us, right, you did a good job entertaining me, then that is a really dangerous thing because it suggests that I am the one as the audience uh, worthy of worship. And they are performing for me, right? That I'm the one being worshipped and I'm thanking them for their worship. Really scary. But um, if when we applaud after someone offers great worship because we want to worship the same person that they were worshipping, if we clap after worship because we want to say we too want to join in giving praise to God, The one you just sang about is the one that we are celebrating. The one that gave you the gift of music and speech is the one that we are are elevating in our hearts and lives. Um, Then how could we not, right? How could we not respond in praise to God if we don't, Jesus says, even the rocks might cry out. I I read these stories in Revelation about the worship of the church, and I think um, we get this beautiful vision of a community of faith that is so in love with their Savior that He's all they can think about when they come together. We get this vision of the church that's so in love with their Savior uh, that all of their self-focus that we all have falls away for a brief period of time. And in that moment, 
they experience what it feels like to be caught up in the love and the presence of God. The Lamb allows us into the presence of God to worship, and the Lamb allows us into the presence of God through worship. William Temple says it like this, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable of, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin." When we come to these passages in Revelation, our invitation is just to do what they do, to let our voices join with the songs of the angels, to fall on our faces before the throne of God and cast our best things before Him, our very lives as our offering to the God who redeemed our lives. And if we can do that, if our worship becomes a place where we forget about ourselves and become obsessed with our God, I guarantee you, you will find no greater joy in life than worship. You will find yourself unable to imagine missing an opportunity to worship. You won't worry if your song or somebody else's song is perfectly in pitch or if the words of your prayer are eloquent or off-putting. You won't be bothered if the sermon is too short or too long, um, or whether you get anything out of it or not, because you will be put aside, and you will lift up your Lord and God, and you'll find that He lifts you up to Himself as well. This morning and every morning, uh, let's answer the invitation of the Lamb to find ourselves in the presence of God to and through worship. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank You uh, for the opportunity to be in Your presence today. We pray that all that we say and do would bring You joy, for 